today, uh, I want to go into week two of FLIP, moving stress to strength. Now, uh, one of the things that happens when we do this is we can identify the stressor, as Bobby was talking about. And when we identify the stressor, one of the things that happens uh, in a, hang on, let me get my, there we go. There we go, okay, now I'm running right. Uh, one of the things that I think happens is when we ask ourselves, what happens when I take on God's financial strategy when I start recognizing God owns it all? Now we talked about this last week, God owns it all. So whatever it is that you have, God has provided. And you say, well, I'd like for God to provide more, right? That makes perfect sense. I don't know anybody who would say, you know what, I'm perfectly comfortable with all I have. I don't want any more, I don't need any more, all is well. But I, I think most of us kill ourselves at some point trying to attain more. We want, we want more, we attain more, we want to search for more. And in doing so, we forget that God owns it all. We're just managers like David talked about it a minute ago. But when we do recognize God owns it all, then we probably ought to ask ourselves, what does happen when we give? How do I flip my financial circumstances in such a way that it leaves being a stress and now can become something that is more significant in my life. And so when we try to take a look at what this means in our world, let's take a look at what happens when we give, and then when we figure that out, let's try to figure out what the scriptures have to say. So when you look at John chapter six, beginning in verse five, you read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 as we know it. Now it's important to recognize that uh, the, the scriptures say we had about 5,000 men and so we could have had 10 to 12,000 people on the side of the hill, all right? So we're, when we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, we're probably talking about the feeding of 10 or 12,000 all in total because you wouldn't have counted women and kids in that day. And so uh, as weird as we would see that contextually today, contextually at that time, that would have been a normal thing, all right? But here's how the story gets told in John's gospel. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. All right, now this is a big deal. Jesus sees all these folks. He turns to Philip and he says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, don't miss this. This is a very big deal. Inside this story, what we see is that Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. So if you get the picture, Jesus and his disciples have kind of escaped across the lake onto this hilly grass side, and the people in, in mass have chosen to follow Jesus and to be with him. They just can't get enough of Jesus. And as they're there, nobody has thought about, wait a minute, we should have brought a picnic basket. So they're all there on the side of this hill, and they're hangry. I just got done spending three days with my granddaughters. And my youngest granddaughter, uh, her name is Rowan Grace. But when she gets hungry, Grace does not happen, okay, because she can just lose it. I mean, and you know, I, I got to thinking about it, but when I was trying to get her corrected, I thought, I am too. Like when my blood sugar drops and I get, okay, I get hangry, I can be a beast. I know none of y'all do that, but I can just be an awful human being. Jesus knows what's going on. He's testing Philip. Now, what does that have to do with you? Now, watch this. So, Everything in your life, whatever it is you need, whatever it is that you desire for, Jesus in his omniscient perspective of all life, being creator and sustainer, all God can look and know what it is that you're in need of. 
So in that moment, those 10 to 12,000 people, Jesus already knows what the need is. And the immediate need is they need food. Now the story and the miracle here, if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in the weeds about how he does it, all right? But the power of the story starts with he recognizes there's a need. And if you're tracking with me, you're recognizing that, wait a minute, if Jesus knows their need, he knows my need. He knows my need is that I need something to happen for me this week at work. I need something to happen in my marriage. I need something to happen in my relationship with my kids. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. And Philip says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Now watch this, because when it gets there, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves. Now, when we say loaves, we're thinking about a loaf of bread like so, right? But these are like those little mini muffins you get in packs of six or 12 in a bakery at your grocery store. Are you with me? And you know, they're usually a little dry, but on the first one, you think you can pop the whole thing in, but you didn't have a drink ready and open. And then you start gagging on it. And by the time you twist the top off and you go for the drink, then you, are you with me? You know, and if you're like, if, you know, like if, if you bought chocolate chip ones for your kid, you went ahead and grabbed three. And then when your little kid said, can I have another one? You say, no, that's all we had. Not that I know that, but I'm just saying, he brings five little mini muffins and two fish. Now, we're not talking sockeye salmon here. We're talking sardine, all right? Do any of you actually like the taste of sardines? Anybody? Y'all are sick. And uh, I mean, that's the nastiest stuff. And I can't get it past my nose. You know, it's just it's like, no, I'm not doing it. So he brings two sardines, five mini muffins. And, but, what, but, what, but what good is that with this huge crowd? I mean, like... Come on, we got 10, 12,000 people here, and the little boy is the only cat on the hillside that thought to bring a lunch. Could we just give moms a credit here? Mom packed the boy a lunch, right? And it wasn't a crustable. I mean, she baked some mini muffins. Do you not know what a crustable is? Okay, it's, it's for parents that genuinely don't have time to make a peanut butter and jelly. I've done it, no judgment. Tell everyone to sit down. This is what Jesus says. Now watch this. The connotation behind everybody sit down, this is so awesome. And it's one of the many things I just love about the Lord Jesus. And this is why I love him being, the fo- him being in the foxhole life with me. Because we got this problem. And we got ten or 12,000 people that are hangry. And they're just about to get all fired up. And Jesus knows what the need is. He knows what's going on. And in Jesus, instead of saying, why didn't you fools bring a lunch? Jesus says, hey, y'all have a seat. And it kind of comes with, take a breath. It's okay. I got this. Listen to me, friend. One of the great things that Jesus brings in our life in the great moment of need is peace. He, he didn't feel the need to fuss at them at the time. He, what, he had the, what he knew what they needed was take a break, take a seat. Now, there's something interesting about them sitting down because in that day and time, it, the way we do church is reversed. Like, well, the way we do church is the pastor stands up and the congregation sits down. Typically in that day, the preacher, teacher, priest, they sat down and the people stood up. And Jesus says to everybody, go ahead and have a seat, which pictures not only that Jesus has this ability to know what is needed and to provide what is needed, but when he says sit down, so they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and watch this, when they sat down, what Jesus is saying is, not only can I provide for you, 
but I am going to serve you. Now, here's what's great. Listen, when you choose to follow the Lord Jesus, it's not that he can just provide what you need. It is that he wants to serve you with what you need. He wants to bless you. He wants to be able to honor God the Father by caring for his kids. Jesus knew what was going on. Now, watch this. Then Jesus took the loaves, the mini muffins, he gave thanks and distributed them to the people. All right, now watch this. He does something here that I think is vitally important for us to get. Have a seat, take a breath. I've got this. I love you. I'm going to provide for you. So he takes the loaves and he thanks the Lord for them. Now, if I'm Jesus and I've got 12,000 people, and you know, you've got to know the kids on the periphery are going bat crazy, right? I mean, you know, like, it's like you know those kids are, Wah! are you with me? Because you've heard them. And you know, there's always that one mom that brings that one kid into church because she's pretty sure that the preschool is not near good enough for her kid. You've done it, haven't you? I'll never forget, I was at a church service down the road in Snellville, Georgia years ago, and there's this kid kind of sitting back halfway in the back in the center section. This kid is going crazy. And her, the, the mom is like, you know, she's doing everything. And this kid is like climbing on her head, and pulling her hair and just going nuts. And the pastor stops and he's sitting down. He gets off his stool. He walks to the edge and he says, ma'am, I love you. Right now, I hate your child. <laughs> Would you take that little girl and go out those back doors and he looks at some dude over here, he says, Gary, meet her at the door and walk her downstairs. And you could see the horror on this mom. It's like, and the pastor didn't mean anything by it. But I mean, I'm not sure that lady would ever be back. Are you with me? So if your kid ever does that, and should I ever do that, let me go ahead and apologize on the front end. All right. But can you imagine the kids that were there? going nuts because they don't have a crustable? I mean, nobody even took a Lunchable. I mean, we got one kid with five mini muffins and two sardines. And Jesus takes the loaves, and the first thing he does is thank God for them. It's like the disciples are like, Jesus, you're killing us. Why are you thanking God? We don't have near enough stuff. These people are going to get a mob, and they're going to run us over. They're not going to believe you can do it. And Jesus doesn't worry about any of that. He stops, and he gives thanks to God for what he has, and then he distributes them to the people. Now, watch this. He thanks the Lord for what he has, and then he takes what he has, and he does everything that needs to be done. Look what happens. He takes it, and he, he blesses it, and then as he distributes it, he breaks it. You know what he does with us? When we choose to do what we have and be grateful for what he's given us, he will bless us, but he may break us. He may break us so that he can use us, that he might do something special with us. And watch this, and he distributed to the people, and afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Come on, that's crazy talk. You know what I've learned about that? Watch this. You can have all the Jesus you want. There is no running out of Jesus. If you choose, you, you literally can have all of the bread of life you want. You can eat your fill of the bread of life. You can have all of Jesus you want. You ever heard that some folks have FOMO, the fear of missing out? 
You ever heard like, like my, my college age kids, it's like they're scared to death to miss one little college outing. And you know what? The only thing they need is a selfie because it didn't really happen unless you post it. And so uh, that's what life is all about. They have FOMO. They have a fear of missing out. Sometimes I think we Christians, when we look at Jesus in this story, and the, the, it, it's, it's clear the implication that Jesus can provide everything we need regardless of how much we have. And we have foro. In, instead of FOMO, we have foro. We have a fear of running out. We have this fear that I'm, I'm only gonna, I've only got so much, so Jesus, i gotta, I got to guard this. I don't have time to give to you. I, don't have, I can't return this back to you. If I do this, i got a fear of running out. And look what happens. Now gather the leftovers, Jesus says, so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Okay, now watch this. I've heard theologians argue about what size of the baskets they were. Could I just get one amen on that's a stupid conversation? I mean, think about it. Does it matter if they're this big or that big? Because it started with five intimates, mini muffins, and two nasty sardines. And he fed 10 to 12,000 people and 12 baskets came back. Do you not think this little boy, somebody wanted to clap. Do you not think that this little boy for the rest of his life, I mean, can you imagine he showed up at college and he goes to join a fraternity and they say, tell us a little about your life. Well, I had these five intamins mini muffins and two sardines. I handed it to Jesus of Nazareth and he blessed it and broke it and fed 12,000 people with my muffins and fish. And when we were done, 12 baskets left over. Boo, yaw. <laughs> and in the middle of that, you know what happens? All of a sudden, we got the picture that the bread of life is more than enough. Friend, listen, when we give, we honor God. When we give, we honor the Lord. You and I are here today to honor the Lord God. And we are to honor the Lord God because everything is his. By giving up his lunch, this little boy honored the Lord Jesus. We discussed last week, Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with oath. What was the covenant? A contract. A covenant is a contract that God cannot, God will not ever default on. And he says he will bless you. He chooses for you to live in the blessing of what his children have. Now look at this, but he brings up the concept of first fruits. Did you know first fruits are mentioned more than 30 times in scripture? Do you know how many times last fruits are mentioned? Zippity doodah. 30 plus times first fruits are mentioned in the scriptures. Throughout the Bible, we're encouraged and often commanded to give first to God's work through the local church. Now, if you've got your little handy-dandy handout on the back where it says message notes, you could be filling these blanks in, take a magnet, put it on, on, the, on the fridge this week, and you could remember first fruits 
have been mentioned more than 30 times in Scripture. But first fruits, as they're being described, are first to God's work through his local church. And I said it last week, but let me say it more kindly so I don't get emails this week. You ready? If you can't trust the church to give through it to the kingdom work, you need a new church. If you can't trust the pastor of the church, you either need to fire the pastor or find a new, new church. But whatever you do, don't delay the blessing that God wants to give you through your obedience to give. You say, well, Chuck, I ain't got nothing to give. Man, first fruits, are you kidding me? Well, listen, first fruits is not just your money. First fruits is your time. Every single weekday morning, there's a podcast where you can get scripture in your life and take five minutes. Every single weekday morning, there's a meditation you can get in six or seven minutes. You can have a guided prayer time. There is no reason, absolutely zero reason, why you can't have all of Jesus you want by giving God those first 15 minutes of your day. If you say, Chuck, I don't have 15 minutes. You would if you'd go to bed seven and a half minutes earlier and wake up seven and a half minutes earlier and give God your first fruits of your day. Well, but Chuck, you understand, I got kids going galore. What time do they wake up? About seven, then be up at 6.30. Well, I got to make them breakfast. Pop-tarts, man. <laughs> they got me through school. So did other things. But now watch this. First fruits are when we give God the first fruits of our day. First fruits illustrate giving to God from a grateful heart. First fruits are giving to God from a grateful heart. It sets a pattern of giving back to him the first and the best of what he's given us. Now, this is a big deal. All right, you ready? Grateful giving equals direct blessing. Grateful giving equals direct blessing. Turn to somebody beside you and say, grateful giving. Go ahead, grateful giving. All right, turn to the same person and say, equals direct blessing. If you have the potential to put all that together, turn to somebody else and say, grateful giving equals direct blessing. How many of you say, I ain't turning, I ain't saying it to anybody. I'm not doing it. Anybody? Okay, I wouldn't have either if I were sitting there. I hate it when preachers do that stuff. It's like, man, come on, really? It's your job to talk. Now watch this. Why would God ask us to bring or return the first fruits back to his kingdom's work? Why would God ask us to do that? Because he knows this one huge deal. He knows that our hearts are connected to our treasure. The distance from the head to the heart could be miles. And when it is, from the heart to the wallet can be mile after mile after mile. You say, well, Chuck, you know what? When he talks about first fruits, he's talking about time, he's talking about service, he's talking about talent, and he's talking about money. So why are you focused on money today? Well, first of all, let me say to you, I, I don't think I am. But on the other hand, I'm not afraid to say that I am because honestly, Jesus thought enough about it to make this a big deal. He knew that deep down that this is how we measure things in our humanity, in our life. We, we treasure these things. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, that uh, Matthew says in his gospel is, don't store up treasures here on earth. 
where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. steal store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will lie also. And anything in your heart that stands as a treasure greater than Jesus himself, this is what the Bible describes as sin in our life. And sin will scream at us through our heart and our ears and our head, don't give, you can't trust him. And yet Jesus is saying, I already own it. I know your pen. If I wanted it, I'd come get it. But I'd like for you to love me enough to choose to graciously and gladly give it. I, uh, uh, I spent these last three days with my granddaughters, and, and I have to tell you, uh, boy, it was hard to leave them. And they're, they're, in, a, they're in a tough season, and uh, when, when your grandkids come running out the door at four and two and screaming, don't go, Pop. I mean, everything in you just melts. And then Presley Ann, the, the four-year-old, she's, she's about figured out all of her conversations. So she reaches up and she grabs, I was wearing gym shorts, she reached up and grabbed the shorts and almost pulled them off of me. And uh, she said, wait, why here? <laughs> okay. So she goes inside and she brings this little thing I'd seen her color at school on Friday. And she looked at it and I'll promise you, there is not a psychotherapist on the planet that could tell you what's on this paper. All right, it's just, it's there. Are you with me? And she looked at me and she held that paper up and she said, that's Presley and that's Paul. And I thought, I'm holding a masterpiece in my hand. You know why? My grandkid gave it to me. You ever been given something and you were just blessed by it? Listen, friend. I want to I, I ask you to recognize that when you give, you, you bless others. That is so great when you get to bless others. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. I, haven't you received one of those gifts that when you got it, it was just somebody just blessed you immensely. It was just like, wow. And it may not have been something huge. It, it might have been something that would just, it just hit you right there. It was like, how would you know this? It was, what a blessing. I, mean, I have. I mean, I, I, I've, I've had gifts that I've just thought, wow, that's gracious. Thank you. But there's nothing like being a part of blessing others. In the book of Acts, it says there were no needy people among the church there because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Folks brought to the temple the money, and they, they knew they're a part of blessing others. Generosity blesses other people. When you think about that gift and how you receive that gift, weren't you blessed? Weren't you encouraged? Didn't you think, I'm so glad somebody loves me? I'm so glad somebody cared about me, especially when you were down and somebody showed up with something you blessed me. I want you to know when you give, you bless others, but I also want you to know that when you give, you're blessed. When you, when you give, we're blessed. I, I love trying to do things for my grandkids. You know why? I am so blessed that I could do that. And you know, the Lord showers down blessings when we give. 
I've challenged you. If you've never given, give something in the month of February. God says, test me on this one. Okay, then here's my deal with you. You give sacrificially in the month of February through his church to the kingdom work. And if at the end of February you say, God didn't hold up his bargain. He hasn't blessed me in any possible way. We'll write you a check back for every dollar you've given plus 5% and it's yours. And you say, Chuck, you can't do that. You're putting the church in jeopardy. Well, I would promise you, this church isn't in jeopardy because I'm taking God at his word. Because I believe when you give and he says, test me on this, I believe he wants to bless you. Let me remember, remind you again in Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavens and army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, God says. Go ahead and test God. He goes on and says, your crops will be abundant. Your grapes will not fall. All the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord. I look at this and I think to myself, go ahead, test God. Go ahead and put him to the test and say, well, Lord, then I'm going to trust you to do this. You know, that little boy had to have some measure of trust. Couldn't we be found guilty of being generous? I mean, if somebody took an audit of your financials over the past, say, since the first of the year, if somebody took a deep dive into your financials, would they find you guilty of being generous? Would they find you guilty of being generous? And my prayer is that absolutely they would. That people would find that we have taken this financial strategy that God gives us and say, I can flip the stress to a strength in the power of Christ because I've chosen to do what he said. Listen, you know what Jesus, Jesus doubles down on this test in this story. And he flips the circumstance on something so simple as a meal. I was sitting, my, my daughter's office where she works is on Siesta Key in Florida, tough life. And uh, so I, I walked in to see her and then we walked around the first day I was there to eat lunch at a little cafe around the corner and uh, it was kind of a brunch kind of thing. And uh, we sat down and uh, we were kind of just yakking and talking and catching up and trying to build a budget for her and get ready to move her and all that kind of stuff. And, and I noticed a couple to the little two-top to my left, uh, they're, they're in a bit of a spat. And you know, the average age on Siesta Key is roughly deceased, right? And so, so they're, they're fussing and I don't know what's going on there, but clearly neither one of them brought any method of payment, right? And they're a little freaked out. So I see who their server is, and I, I, I said, hey, man, if you'll just give me their check, I'll take care of that with mine. And he said, okay. I said, I promise you, I'll tip you better than they would. Come on. So he does. I take care of it. And those folks, they have no clue who's done it, you know, and it's just like all of a sudden it's like, and they're back in love again, and they, they, they walk out to go do whatever 188-year-old people do, right? And... Uh, and I'm sitting there, and it's, I have no idea the Greek dude that owns this place has watched all this happen. And when I go to pay, I pay for theirs, and I hand them mine, and he's already told the cashier, your money's not good here. I saw that here. Now, what he didn't know is the conversation I had with my daughter just before we did that when she said, what are you preaching on Sunday, Daddy? Was I'm preaching on what happens when you give. And you think, okay, that's too stinking cool right there. I mean, that's like tee up an illustration for the preacher. 
Isn't it just like God to do that? So I guess I would ask you, are you guilty of being generous? Man, I pray you are. I took some heat last week for uh, doing a second offering. And uh, can I just tell you, I, I, I really am not going to apologize for it. Y'all didn't have to do that. Thank you. But let me tell you why. It, uh, we, we said the first thousand will go to help this kid that's struggling at Buford. But the honest truth is when we dug in, we found out kind of what their needs are. Man, in the two offerings, y'all gave $4,545 in that second offering. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and as that family has greater need, we did. We took that first thousand and did so. And as they have greater need, we'll continue to because of your faithfulness and your kindness. But can I tell you something? Man, put God to the test here. His strategy for you is that he cannot wait to richly bless you. Give him a reason to, and he will pour out heaven on you. I'll promise you, he is faithful to do his part. Let's pray. God, thank you that uh, your truths are never more faithful than they are right in this moment. And God, I believe there are people in this room right now Lord, they've never sacrificially given. They've never given a dime. And a sacrifice today might be 25 cents. God, would you give them the courage to find an usher or a pastor after this service and give whatever the Lord's laid on their heart to do so. And God, give us, give us wisdom to know how we, as managers, as stewards, we handle well what you, you've entrusted to Sugar Hill Church, that we might share the gospel, that we might serve the needs of people, that we may never get weary of doing what is good. Lord, would you flip our stress to a strength so that finances don't keep us from serving you well. Finances literally motivate us to serve well. So God, we trust you in all these things. And for every person here today that's having a hard time struggling to trust you, God, flip their heart right side up that they might put you in the highest priority of their life. And through that, they'd make the best possible choices they could. God, you are more than enough. I'm so grateful that there's more than enough of the bread of life to do what you can do. So do that in our lives and rain down grace and mercy on our lives with gratitude and with graciousness overflowing in our soul. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord one more song. And let our hope be built on nothing other than the blood of Jesus, His righteousness, His goodness. That be true of us this morning in our hearts as we sing this together.
takes, wipes away your tears, and kisses you on the forehead, and wraps his loving arms around you so that you get to see and hear your Savior say, my child, say it with me, I love you. God bless you. Go in peace.